Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, with plans to allocate new rapid coronavirus tests to schools, we examine how some Mississippi school districts have navigated the first months of the academic year and how ramped-up testing could serve their communities. Then, the first in a series of public hearings on the medical marijuana occurs tonight. We check in with principals on both sides of the issue. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, it's where a plot to remove and replace the Speaker of the House was hatched. Now it's on a list of endangered historic sites. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This week, 150 million rapid point-of-care tests are expected to be distributed to states in an effort to help schools and businesses continue to operate during the coronavirus pandemic. The new rapid coronavirus test kit offers results in 15 minutes without the need for a lab or external equipment and can be performed by anyone. Governor Tate Reeves says this could allow teachers the opportunity to be tested daily. Robert Chapman, Public Information officer for Quentin Public School District says access to testing like the free testing offered by the Department of Health to teachers and staff provides some peace of mind. He tells our Kobe Vance data will drive any decision the district makes towards any new approaches. I have two children in the district um, and I've been a teacher previously for the past nine years in this district before I took this position. Um, And so I I still keep in touch with a lot of my, my friends who are teachers and having that option of a free testing without symptoms, it, just knowing that the option is in the back pocket, it, it allows for them to kind of walk into their job knowing I have an option. When there's no option, you know, you kind of feel trapped. But knowing that there is an option of if I feel that I need to get tested, I can go get tested. It's not going to cost me anything, and I can do it every week. Um, if I am showing symptoms, then I can go get tested and again, it's offered there for no charge. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that it has limited the fear of the virus. Um, I think the, the virus is real, and I, I believe most people think the same thing. And I believe that people are uh, acting most of the time according to, to thinking about their neighbor. That's one thing that we've tried to teach our students um, is – you have a neighbor to your left and a neighbor to your right, and you, your actions need to help them out. Your actions are helping yourself out, yes, but how are you helping your neighbor? So I don't think we've diminished necessarily uh, the 
fear, but I feel that by off, by having these options offered, uh, it, it kind of feels like, again, there's there's opportunity. You're not trapped. And that if you do feel scared, well, then, you you know, act upon that and go and get tested. And that, that option is there. But if you feel that, you know, you, you want to get on with the regular part of the day, we're not going to hinder you doing that either. And now the president has recently announced a new testing kit that is uh, offers 15-minute results. It can be done on site. It can be done by a regular person, so no like fancy equipment or anything like that. And the governor's expressed uh, interest in making sure that this is provided to schools, so that uh, in his words, can get 100% of schools back in classrooms. Um, do you think that that's going to be something that can make the next steps easier? If if that is something that works, then I think that will very much help. One thing, again, that we've done since March, and we've done it for the last 50 years in the, in the Clinton Public School District, is we look at numbers. We let the numbers drive our decision-making. Um, if, if these test kits uh, show promise and they show that they work and they show that they're reliable, then I don't see why that, that shouldn't be implemented anywhere else. We do the same thing with defibrillators, but... Most districts are going to tell you, I want to see the data first. I want to make sure that we're not, you know, trying to jump into something with this false hope. I'd like to have a little bit more teeth in it to understand that when we move forward and if we use this, again, offering more options, we, we're, we're, we're relinquishing the grip that fear has on us by offering more options. Robert Chapman is the public information officer for Clinton Public Schools. Corinth Schools in the northeastern corner of the state were the first to open this year. Superintendent Edward Childress says since then, increased coronavirus testing opportunities have helped to slow the spread of the disease in schools, and these new kits could make testing even more accessible. One of the things that we experienced early um, on was that there were significant delays in getting test results back. And so, you know, therefore, we were in a holding pattern as far as what to do uh, in terms of children um, or additional staff that possibly had been um, exposed. So I think it's very important that if there is a reliable test that can give us results in a very short period of time, it will help the schools in... Um, the decision-making process as far as what we need to do. I think it's definitely a step forward um, in terms of, you know, making sure that we keep staff and students safe. You know, you were the first person, uh, the first school district in the state to come back into schools. Um, what was that process like for y'all as uh, leading other districts and working with state leadership to see what works and what doesn't? Well, we, um, as I said, we knew that we were going to face the situation. Um, it really didn't matter um, when you opened. Um, we um, were in very close contact with Dr. Dobbs and Dr. Byers at the Mississippi State Department of Health um, in the initial two weeks of school um, when we had um, our first positive cases. They provided us excellent guidance um, and suggestions on the processes um, that we had in place. And we believe the processes that we had in place that we refined with their guidance has led us to where we were uh, with the reduced numbers um, as we have moved forward throughout the school year. Edward Childress is the superintendent of Corinth School District. 
Coming up, the first in a series of public hearings on the medical marijuana, which occurs tonight, we check in with uh, principals on both sides of the issue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Public hearings are taking place statewide to educate Mississippians about two initiatives on the November ballot that could possibly make medical marijuana legal. Initiative 65 would make medical marijuana available to those suffering with chronic illnesses such as epilepsy and cancer. Ed Langton is on the State Board of Health and opposes Initiative 65. He tells our Desiree Frazier the ballot measure exempts marijuana products from taxation. They have language saying that the state, cities, municipalities, and counties cannot charge any tax nor fee upon any sales, any growing from seed to sale. They have made it to where they're untouchable and cannot be taxed. The public, the public perception is that, well, this is going to be good for the state because we'll get tax money. And we can put that toward roads, bridges, education, um, law enforcement, and so forth. Not one red cent will be accessible by the state. None of this money goes into the general fund, and the state cannot tax it. We tax cigarettes, alcohol, gambling, and everything else. So this is the first time any product has been put in the Constitution of the state of Mississippi. Now, I'm looking at a breakdown of, a brief breakdown of Initiative 65, and it says that it will be self-funded by user fees. So the user fees, um, instead of a tax, it would be a user fee, would, would go to pay for the program and for the administration of it by the health department. What's wrong with that? Everything. What so I want to start a business, so I'm going to do a constitutional amendment to where I can charge what normally is charged by the state as state sales tax. I'm going to keep all the money that I charge to grow my business so I can take this money, keep it all, and use it for purposes of promoting and growing the marijuana business. Now, what other industry, what other what other product in the state is exempt from taxation? So this business, which is unlimited dispensaries, pot shops, will be unlimited. The zoning is being changed, whereas the state statutes say that you can't have a, a liquor store or whatever and a pot shop next to a church or a school. It has to be 1,500 feet away. They've changed that law by virtue of putting it in the Constitution to where it's only 500 feet now. You, the city is not able to zone, specially zone, 
marijuana dispensaries or growing it or anything. It's totally taking control away from our form of government in the state of Mississippi. So the issue isn't so much passing a measure that would approve of the use of medical marijuana, but it's the stipulations in the initiative that you take issue with. Oh, absolutely. So Uh, you're okay with medical marijuana as an alternative treatment? No. That would be futile to say that a joint is all of a sudden become medicine. Well, again, at Langton, with the Mississippi (laughs) Board of Health, we do appreciate your thoughtful insights on this issue. Thank you so much, Cesar. I appreciate your call. Jamie Grantham is with Medical Marijuana 2020 Mississippi, the group that collected enough signatures to put the issue on the November ballot. She says Initiative 65 hopes to expand cannabinoid-based treatment options to Mississippians. The marijuana plant has over 100 different cannabinoids, um, and that's what would be available through Initiative 65. It it enables all of those to be used. Um, You can, you know, Uh, There's some medications that use mixtures of the cannabinoids. But anyway, as far as it not being medicine, the FDA has signaled, you know, support that medical marijuana is helpful in treating illnesses. And secondly, you just have to look at 34 other states. These doctors in other states um, are saying that this is helping their patients. It's another option for a treatment that is you know, significantly helping their patients not be in pain, not have seizures, not have tremors, um, you know, and all those kinds of things. And additionally, there is a ton of medical research um, out there for medical marijuana. And we actually have a lot of that listed on the website as well. If you go to medicalmarijuana2020.com, we have an entire page called What Medical Research Says. It has studies listed on there. It also has um, testimonials from physicians. So you can listen to what they have to say about medical marijuana. Um, But it is absolutely a treatment option that is helping millions across the country. Another argument is that It's not taxed, so schools don't benefit, municipalities don't benefit. What do you say to that? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, So, first of all, Initiative 65 is self-funded. That means it doesn't fall on taxpayers' shoulders, okay? It's self-funded through fees for medical marijuana ID cards, fees for business licenses, and also, there's a user fee on retail purchases. So that's the, the actual medical marijuana from the treatment centers. If you're a patient and you're purchasing your medicine, there's a user fee. It would feel like a tax to the patient, but it actually is not a tax because it doesn't go to the legislature. It goes back to the Department of Health in order to fund the program for patients. Um, so the fact that the legislature is wanting to tax some of our very sickest patients goes against the way Mississippi does things. It's also not something we believe in, uh, which is why we didn't write Initiative 65 in that way. If you, um, Mississippi does not tax prescription medications. Like it, we, our state is not set up that way. So for the legislature to say that they want to tax these sick patients on their medicine uh, is just wrong. They're wanting to literally make money off of the sickest patients in Mississippi um, to fund their pet projects. That, that They are confusing that with a recreational program, which is an entirely different deal. 
Um, and again, that, that is not what we believe in, and that's not the way we wrote 65. We don't believe in that. Jamie Grantham, thank you so much for speaking with us. We appreciate it. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for talking with me. I appreciate it. The other referendum, 65A, would allow lawmakers to begin the process of establishing a program to provide medical marijuana. Grantham of Medical Marijuana 2020 contends it was added to the ballot to confuse voters. The first hearings on the issue tonight in Oxford. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, it's where a plot to remove and replace the Speaker of the House was hatched. Now it's on a list of endangered historic sites. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Could you speak on um, psoriasis? It's really an autoimmune disorder. Psoriasis is one that affects the skin and the skin layers in particular. And there's different types of psoriasis. There's psoriasis that just affects the skin, uh, psoriasis that just affects the hair. There's different types. There's a guttate psoriasis. There's more plaque-like psoriasis. And then there's some psoriasis that can, uh, psoriform arthritis can go along with it. So it is, uh, particularly on the skin, very treatable with topical agents. So there's all kinds of different things from steroids uh, that topically that are made for psoriasis. There's some old-fashioned, but they work well, tar-based therapies that are a a thick uh, uh, lotion that you can put on there. Uh, but there's some other agents, too, that you can use, and even some medications by mouth sometimes have been used to treat psoriasis. And again, and they're just trying to treat that autoimmune component. The first step is making sure that your doctor knows what type of psoriasis it is and where it's limited. And then, uh, you know, primary care providers can do this. Sometimes I'll, you know, I have some patients with just uh, run-of-the-mill psoriasis that, that affects the skin or the hair, and we treat that. We monitor for other things. But um, it, there are different topical things you can put on there, like lotions or creams. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hey, parents, students, and teachers. There's a new channel coming to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. That's right. MPB Classroom TV starts October 5th. This new channel will help Mississippi students learn even while at home. MPB Classroom TV features great teachers and engaging programs for students in pre-K through 12th grade. To learn more about how you can watch MPB Classroom TV, visit education.mpbonline.org. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In 1984, lawmakers in the Mississippi House of Representatives hatched a plan to remove Speaker Buddy Newman. It was a calculated move discussed over meals and drinks at the legislature's home away from home during the second half of the 20th century. Ed Blackman, who first served in the State House in 1980, recalls how the Sun and Sand Hotel provided the backdrop for the historic move. The Sun and Sand was likely a one-of-a-kind location. Uh, I don't think you'll find that again uh, where you'll have membership centralized. It's kind of like being on a small college campus where you get to know everybody, know their names, their family, where they're from. Uh, One of the, uh, I guess, uh, major turning points in political history in Mississippi occurred at the Sun and Sand. And that's when there were meetings held off, away from the Capitol to uh, house the very strong, uh, at that time, uh, Speaker of the House, C.B. Buddy Newman. The meetings uh, to plot that took place in the evening, evenings, that is, uh, at the Sun and Sand. And out of those meetings came a cohesive effort among membership uh, to move against Speaker uh, Buddy Newman and his regime, and it did happen. That's how Tim Ford came to power. And so, and out of those meetings that took place at the Sun and Sand, now Tim Ford, in and of himself at that time, did not had not really distinguished himself as an influential legislator, but he was a person who was popular among his colleagues because of his relationships that were developed at the Sun and Sand. And out of those meetings that we were trying to choose leadership to move forward uh, past Buddy Newman, Tim emerged as that individual. And I think uh, those relationships forged at the uh, lunches, uh, the dinners, and gatherings at the bar uh, is what allowed him to do that. The Sun and Sand closed in 2001 and has been mired in neglect for nearly 20 years. Now, in an effort to preserve it, the National Trust for Historic Preservation is placing the motel on its annual list of endangered places. Catherine Malone-France is the Trust's chief preservationist. It has, as as most as, as historic places do, it has layered significances. Um, you know, it certainly has has architectural significance for its distinctive um, mid-century design, but it also is significant for, you know, the, the, the rich variety of, of stories that are associated with it. Um, you know, it was a gathering place for Mississippi legislators, obviously due to its proximity to the state capitol. In the early 1960s, you know, the women-led Wednesdays in Mississippi uh, program met there. Um, I was reading in some of the press that came out uh, after the announcement that, um, you know, Willie Morris writes about it in one of his books. And as I from the Clarion Ledger, um, John Grisham wrote A Time to Kill there. On your list are locations all around the country. What is the success rate of saving these historic places? 
great question. So we've been doing the 11 most list for um, for 33 years. So in that time, we have listed um, more than 300 properties on the list. And I'm proud to say that um, less than 5% of them have been lost. Well, that's very good news. That's very impressive. We think so, too. I mean, again, it reflects um, the great work of so many um, local preservation organizations and individuals who are committed to these places. And we are honored to be able to highlight the places and that great work. Catherine Malone France is the Chief Preservation Officer for the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.